You're listening to the Elephant in the Room Property Podcast, where the big things that never get talked about actually get talked about. I'm Veronica Morgan, real estate agent, buyer's agent, co-host of Foxtel's Location, Location, Location Australia, and author of a new book, Auction Ready, How to Buy Property Even Though You're Scared Shitless. And I'm Chris Bates, financial planner and mortgage broker, and together we're going to uncover who's really making the decisions when you buy a property. Don't forget that you can access the transcript for this episode on the website, as well as download our free full or forecaster report. Which experts can you trust to get it right? Theelephantintheroom.com.au Please stick around for this week's Elephant Rider Bootcamp. And we have a cracking Dumbo of the Week coming up. Before we get started, everything we talk about on this podcast is general in nature and should never be considered to be personal financial advice. If you're looking to get advice, please seek the help of a licensed financial advisor or buyer's agent. They will tailor and document their advice to your personal circumstances. Now let's get cracking. Ever wondered where the buck stops when things go wrong in a strata title building? What happens to the poor last standing owners in Mascot Towers, for example, if a whole bunch of owners go bankrupt because they can't afford to contribute to major building repairs that will have to be done before they can all move back into their apartments? I was having dinner with strata lawyer Amanda Farmer a while back and we were talking about the impact of building defects on individual owners. She shocked me when she revealed something about owner obligations that I had no idea about. In fact, I'd wager very few strata owners would know about this. So of course, I've asked her to come in and share this knowledge with you. Now, this isn't the first time we've interviewed Amanda. Back in episode 25, we talked at length about the hidden dangers of buying brand new and off-the-plan apartments. And of course, we recommend you go back and check out that episode. She's also a fellow podcaster hosting Your Strata Property, which is an excellent source of information for apartment and townhouse owners, as well as industry professionals. Thank you for joining us again, Amanda. I know you're going to share some big elephants with us today. I hope so. Yeah, there's a few to be revealed, I think. Thank you very much for having me on the show again. Thank you, Amanda. Um, Good to see you again. I think... uh you know, we're still seeing the building issues playing out. Um, there hasn't been any major um, front page news like Mascot and Opal, et cetera. But, you know, there's a lot of legislation still going through about what could change. But, mm. you know, do you have any kind of insights on kind of the challenges of like the Mascot Towers are having and some of the strata, you know, or the owners of those buildings are having trying to get strata to fix the problem and how it's very hard to fix it? Yes. Uh, Look, I am not directly involved as a legal representative with that building or any of the owners who are in that building. So I can today speak as freely and as uh, speculatively, perhaps, as the general public. Wow. (laughs) uh, Which might be helpful. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Or dangerous. Um, That building has some real problems. And you don't need me to tell you that. You just have to read the news. Yeah. They have to repair their building, that is a legal obligation. They can't avoid that. We have very clear laws in that respect. It's very well settled in strata law that an owner's corporation, a body corporate, has a duty to repair and maintain its property and it cannot avoid that duty. There is no excuse for not repairing and maintaining. You can't say, well, we don't have the money right now, we're getting quotes, it's going to take a bit longer, we're getting a second opinion, the owners don't think it's necessary. Right. If it needs to be done, it has to be done. Mm. And if it's not done, an owner can go and seek an order from the tribunal 
forcing the owners' corporation to do it. Wow. So as I understand it from reading the newspaper articles, they're looking at somewhere between a $5 million and $10 million bill to fix this building. Yeah. They don't have anyone to blame as far as we can see. Mm. There has been some talk about whether the neighbouring property has caused the damage, a yep. development close by. Assuming there's no one to blame and no one else to sue, then these owners are going to have to pay the cost of those repairs. Mm. And they are all going to have to contribute to that bill in accordance with their unit entitlements. Mm. So they all contribute uh, an additional levy over time to meet that bill and there's mm. no avoiding that. It's interesting you say that they have to do it. So, you know, you buy a car and, you know, the tyres are starting to get a bit worn, you know, you might be willing to take the risk, you know, I probably should replace the tyres but, you know, I don't have to. Until, well, when you come up to Rego, you do. Well, Rego, you do. <laughs> um, you know, but there's could be, you know, there's not like you don't have to fix things. Let's say it's mm. a dent, you know, it might not be. If it's not safety though, mm. let's say it's like just visually like the building needs work. Is that a liability and obligation or is it is only if it makes it unsafe? It, it, the obligation is to repair and maintain. Right. So, yes. So if the paint is peeling, then that's a maintenance issue. Yeah. And that has to be done. And if you think about it, the, the logic behind the law is that everybody's there as a co-owner. Mm. They're all sharing in the common spaces. You cannot hold other owners to ransom. A mm. small group, which yeah. might be the strata committee ah. or a particular person who's got the day-to-day -day responsibilities for the management, cannot hold the others to ransom by saying, no, we're actually not going to do that. Mm. And you could see that happening. Uh, and actually it does happen. Yeah. A lot of the work that I do is acting for owners who are trying to get their building yes. to do work mm. and the building is not getting it done or not doing it properly or doing it on the cheap side rather than doing exactly what's required. Uh, a lot of the litigation that we see before the tribunal is on exactly that point. So it's just uh, maintenance and safety. But let's say... Um it's anything that's going to potentially add value, but it's not those two things. That's when the 75% of unit holders must agree to approve something, yeah? Yeah, really good point. If you are improving or upgrading the common property, then you require a special resolution at a general meeting. Mm. And the... The common way to think of that is, well, that's a 75% majority vote. It's not actually phrased that way in the legislation. It's okay. no more than 25% voting against the right. proposal calculated on a unit entitlement basis. So it's not yep. a show of hands. Mm. You look at the value of everybody's lot on a unit entitlement basis. Ah. So um, it can be, it sounds like a high threshold, but depending on how many turn up to the meeting, as long as you don't have more than 25% voting against, then that will get through. And oh, wow. So, and no-shows just not counted in the figures. So if you really want to impact, you've got to get everyone to rock up at the meeting, which could be quite difficult to do. Absolutely. I see all the time large buildings over 100 lots or maybe even, say, a 40-lot scheme where you've got 10 people turning up to a, a meeting and six people are voting in favour and making a decision about quite a wow. serious issue. Wow. And I've been present in a room where other owners have said, hang on, only six people voted for that. How How is that possible that we're making this decision? 
Well, everybody got the notice of meeting. That's part of our legislation that the notice of meeting has to be issued. There has to be seven clear days notice. They've got it in their mailbox or they've got it in their email inbox. They've either read it and said, well, we don't care, which I think is most likely the case, Mm. or they haven't read it. Mm. And they'll complain later when they see the special levy that's been raised to pay for the work. (laughs) Wow. And let's say you're in a state, let's say you did, uh, you know, diversify your investments and, um, and you go and buy a house in Melbourne, a unit, a uh, strata townhouse, um, and you can't get there. Mm. Can you, you still be physically present but not present? You can be present by proxy. So you can appoint somebody to be present for you and you do that by filling in a particular form that's stipulated in the legislation. So it's those who are present in person or present by proxy Mm. are those who are counted as attending a meeting. And that proxy, does that have to be a person there? Do you have to get someone to go for you or can you just be like, I'm here but I'm on the phone? It has to be a person there. However, we now in New South Wales have a provision for electronic meetings So meetings that can be held by video, by phone, Mm. you can have pre-meeting electronic voting. This all came in with our legislation that started in 2016. Uh, We had a complete revision of our Strata Schemes Management Act. But I have to say, I don't see very many of those and certainly not for annual general meetings, not for for big meetings where there's a lot happening on the agenda. Mm. We're still holding those in person. Mm. Um, but it is possible to hold electronic meetings, but I think we're, we're waiting for a lot of the software and the technology to catch up to that. It's sort of interesting, isn't it, because so many owners, well, so many strata managers don't seem to really know that much. <laughs> yeah, um, that's an understatement. <laughs> <laughs> and then you've got a strata manager, you know, managing a building and you've got an owner's corporation uh, full of individuals who probably aren't aware of their own obligations Mm -hmm. as a committee member, Um, they may not realise that they can actually go and get legal advice or go to a tribunal and actually force all the other owners to actually repair and maintain that building. Mm -hmm. Yep. So there's, there's, it's not just misinformation out there, it's complete and utter lack of information out there, which is alarming. And obviously that's one thing that your podcast seeks to redress. But, in fact, that's where I learned a lot of this stuff, actually, from your podcast. Thank you very much. Um, So back to the Mascot Towers idea, Mm -hmm. right? So, okay, so they have to. How many many apartments in that building? Does anyone know? Um, I think it's about 60. Right, so 60 owners um, split not equally because they're going to be small apartments, big apartments. I hate to own the penthouse in that one. Um, They're going to be told, right, Fundamentally, it's going to be at least this much, possibly more. And if you're going to investigate whether the building next door is at fault, there's going to cost involved in investigating that. And maybe mm-hmm. we can sue them, maybe we can't. Just add to the bill. Mm-hmm. Um, some people are first home buyers, mm-hmm. you know, just bought their first property, um, used every cent that they had to get in there. Uh, can't live there at the moment, can they? They can't move in there, no. So they're paying rent somewhere. Um, living with mum and dad, pretty diabolical. If they can't get the extra money, mm. okay, so they're going to start going bankrupt. Yes. I presume. Yeah. Well, is that their only option? Well, the building can raise money by levying the owners. That's one option. And let's say they have to raise, for argument's sake, let's say they have to raise $10 million to pay for all of this. So we don't know what everybody's different unit entitlements are, so just split it equally. Yeah. It's about one hundred and fifty grand each. Now, you can imagine that there would be plenty of people in that building who would not have yes. $150,000, certainly not cash, and nobody, I imagine, in their right mind is going to lend 
on the security no. of no, those properties unless so you had some kind of significant equity. And they probably don't have equity in their apartments anymore anyway because let's face it, who could buy it? Who would buy it? So exactly. they don't have equity, may not have cash. Exactly. I mean, that's a good point because reality is you can't sell it because, mm. um, you know, no one's going to buy it with cash unless they buy it for a really cheap price. And, yep. you know, there's mm. no buy and not many people have got all cash. They want to borrow. Yeah. yeah. And, the, and all the banks have just blacklisted the building. Yep. And they might mm. have some cases blacklisted suburbs, but, you know, yep. they can't sell it. So that's not even an mm. option. Yeah. So these people are paying their mortgages. Some of them may be living there. Some of them are investors and they're having to put their tenants up elsewhere. And they're hit with this $150,000 levy. Mm. They cannot pay it. Now, something that I think most strata owners and maybe even strata managers are not aware of is that that owner who cannot pay the levy can actually be pursued by the owner's corporation to the extent of all of their assets. So not just to the value of the property or what equity they have in the property, but if this particular owner has other assets, other investment properties, other mm. properties, uh, they can actually, I'll say that again, those other properties are actually at risk and exposed. Yes. Because it is that particular owner who can be pursued, as you said, Veronica, to bankruptcy mm. if that's what the owner's corporation chooses to do to be able to attempt to recover its levy. If that owner is pursued to bankruptcy, then trustee in bankruptcy is going to be appointed. The secured creditor is probably going to be the bank. Mm. If they have a mortgage, the bank is going to be paid out first from any assets. But let's remember, the only asset is the property and nobody wants to buy it. Yes. Mm. So that trustee in bankruptcy is sitting there with uh, what may be a, I don't want to say worthless, but yeah. an White asset elephant. cannot pay, the, cannot pay mm. the mortgage, certainly cannot pay the levy, and the owners' corporation is not a secured creditor. Mm. They rank far below oh, wow. uh, those who are secured on the title. So this person can't pay their $150,000 levy. The owners' corporation still has to raise $10 million mm. to pay for the repairs and maintenance because that is the legal obligation. people to divide the $10 million on. You got it. Oh. Let's say, let's say uh, serious circumstance, half of the owners fall over that way. Yeah. You've got $10 million that has to then be shared between 30 people yep. and they're all now paying a $300,000 levy. Yep. I don't think many strata owners understand no. that. And I accept that this is an extreme situation. Mm. It's not one that we've really had to think through uh, as lawyers and certainly haven't seen cases on this before because usually where there is significant liability like this, there's insurance. Mm. It's some kind, it might be a civil liability that you're insured for. It might be some storm damage that you've got building insurance for, but there's no insurance here and there's no original owner to pursue because mm. we're out of the warranty period. It's a really unique and kind of scary situation. It might be a bit strange in terms of the amount and the numbers, but the defects per se and special levies on strata owners isn't unique though, is it? It might just not be this severe. Might, this is 150, but it's quite common that people are paying special levies for new buildings. True, and they sell if they can't afford it. Yeah, this is a double whammy. Yeah, and these people are not going to are not going to be able to sell, I think, for the foreseeable future, at least not for an amount that they're going to be able to pay out their mortgage. Yeah. The problem is with the selling, though, is that if that's in the strata report, the person buying it is factoring that usually <laughs> yeah. 
uh, sure. if they are reading the Strata Report, <laughs> yeah. if they even know what a Strata Report is. Even if they get this all sorted. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, you know, do you think that, you know, is there any, like, how does like a, like a owner of a property though, is there anything you can potentially keep out of the strata report? Is that possible? Okay. So the idea of a strata report is that somebody, it might be your conveyancer or the lawyer that you engage to advise you on the purchase, or it might be a professional strata inspector, records inspector, or it might be yourself. You go to the offices of the strata manager, if there is one, the place where the books and records are kept, and you look through the books and records, the minutes of meetings, all the correspondence, the invoices, the insurances. That strata manager should be holding every document, including electronic material, that has something to do with the management of the owners' corporation for at least the last seven years. What we're finding, and I I think you've spoken about this on the podcast before, I certainly, I've certainly spoken about it on my podcast, is that the records just aren't complete. Uh. Strata managers are not keeping accurate records, up-to-date records. When we go and search them, and I do this a lot for clients, we can't find a lot of material that should be there. Is there any fines or anyone? Because, like, like, you know, there's, that's probably the issue, right? Like if no one's going to get in trouble, there's no one really watching what I'm doing. Yeah. Then, you know, and I've got 20 buildings or yep. we didn't even do the meeting. Like I'm sure that happens yeah. quite common. You can seek, uh, an owner can seek an order of the tribunal that the owner's corporation has failed to keep accurate books and records. I've been involved in a couple of those applications on both sides. And what usually happens is that the owner's corporation says, oh, you were looking for something. What were you looking for? Let us know. And you give an itemised list of what's missing and then the documents turn up, maybe five or six grand in legal fees later. Uh, for the owner. For the owner. Yeah. Yeah. So they throw their hands up and say, great for you, Amanda. Mm. But uh, the fact that we have to do that, commence litigation to get them to keep proper records, and then they get a slap on the wrist by the tribunal that says, mm. oh, okay, well, the records are there now. Everybody happy? Uh, yeah. So let's say you buy in an older apartment because you don't want to buy new stuff now because you've, you know, been reading the papers and you've understand the, the risk of defects, et cetera, mm-hmm. um, and you're going to buy an older apartment and that building isn't very well maintained, you know, it's not too bad. Like it's just looking a bit tired and things like that. Do you see much success in the purchase of those buildings going in and influencing the strata to tidy it up and spend money on the building if it's been neglected for so long? Yeah, you, you're kind of identifying my investment strategy there. <laughs> if you know what you're doing <laughs> mm. and you don't mind the uh, headache, heartache, additional financial contribution or you understand Mm. that it's coming up, Mm. I think that can be a very good investment strategy. And I know um, plenty of knowledgeable strata sector stakeholders who do that, exactly that. Um, They get the place for a bargain because it's run down and then they use their knowledge and their contacts to improve. (laughs) Make everyone spend money. (laughs) You probably don't want to live in that building when you're doing that though because... No, depending on on what it is, (laughs) of course. Yeah, yeah. And I think people... People need to go in with open eyes on exactly that point. You <laughs> might you might say, okay, well, there's 500 grand's worth of rectification work to happen here. That's great. I'm going to negotiate a reduction in my purchase price then yes. and because I know I'm going to have these special levies coming up. Great, I've got it covered. And then I'm going to live in it. You're not thinking about that day-to-day strain on mm. 
your life, that you have to live in a construction zone, that you're going to have to go through that process if you're on the committee of getting quotes, uh, explaining to other yeah. owners why this is happening, uh, supervising the project if you haven't spent the money for an engineer. Uh, and it can go on for years and years. It's the same with the defects rectification process. Owners saying, okay, well, yeah, there's defects, but I got it for a good price. Yeah, I bought off the plan, but I got it for a good price because yep. everybody is avoiding off the plan at the moment. Yep. Um, Great, but can you live with this for the next five years? Yeah, it has to be a really good price. A really good price. Really, yes. you know, I mean that yeah. is the thing, though. It's it's we. How good am I? How good am I? Yep. You know, <laughs> how good are we? How clever yeah. are we? We say fifty grand on a purchase price. It's like, well, what's the cost of your sanity in mm. exactly. the next however many years? And I see clients who come to me and say, Amanda, I, I, I want to have this fight or I want to get this work done. I want to do ABNC. And I say, okay, that's fine. This is how much it's going to cost and how long it's going to take. And, and they stick with it. And we might be one, two years into litigation. And then they say, Amanda, I can't, I, it's not worth, this is not worth my sanity, my life. Uh, I need to just get back to living as I want to live. And that mm. often means that they sell or yeah. they give up. And that's really sad. I mean, I had a client Friday night, you know, first time I've spoken to her, it was a referral from another client, you know, and I started chatting to her and I said, oh, you know, we just had this apartment and renovated it. And she says, I'm never buying another apartment. And I was like, it was the most, like, and I said, <laughs> it was a, a really nice apartment in kind of Collaroy. And um, the whole experience, she just said that it was the people in the apartments mm. that made her life hell for two years because she was going through this renovation um, and it was just so bad because it was in this situation is she was trying to do all the things to improve the value of their building mm-hmm. and was doing what you're saying is looking at what could be needs to be done because she was thinking about how can I add value, but then all the other apartment owners made their life hell um, and so it just all wasn't worth it. Yeah. Well, you got to think about if a building's been left to go to rack and ruin a bit, then those people are quite happy to live in a building that's going to wreck and ruin. So you've got to have an uphill battle, don't you? I mean, it's not like they go, oh, thanks for coming. We've just been waiting for someone to come and <laughs> cheer us up. <laughs> yeah, definitely. The the people who are in the community, the attitude that they have, that is so important, but it's so hard to predict mm. or to know. Yeah, that's so right. So yeah. it, it's hard to say, but there can be a lot of luck in these decisions. Yeah. Mm. Um, I bought into a building recently and I feel that I've been very lucky in that the committee there was welcoming of me mm. and my ideas. Uh, it was a little bit Veronica like, oh, my gosh, thank goodness Amanda's <laughs> here to help us solve some problems. But it could have very much gone the other way. Yeah. That yeah. These people could have said, yeah, Amanda, we hear that. We know we have a legal obligation to do A, B and C, but we don't want to do it. Yeah, don't and then care. I could be in litigation with my neighbours. That mm. would be horrible. Yeah. Yeah. But I see that in my professional life all the time. Um so looking at the books and records, and I always say looking at the recent email correspondence because the things that people put on email mm. never ceases to amaze me. They, <laughs> they disclose so much about what they think about their neighbours, uh, what's going on day to day in the building. Yeah. And they don't realise that it's if the strata manager's copied in, it's going to go on the books and records. Mm. Someone's going to read that and maybe the neighbour you're complaining about is going to read that or their lawyer is going to read that. So that can give you insight into what the community is like. But sometimes having having someone who is a professional searcher or a strata lawyer yep. look at that for you can help you to gain that insight as well. So let's say you, you know, give our client a moment, let's say they're going alone, they're buying a, like a, a nice apartment in the lower North Shore, like in Mossman or something like that, like a, <laughs> like a nice brick building with views, et cetera. Right. Um, and 
you know, what what should they like? I'm just trying to like get listeners to think about it. Like, if they're going out and they're trying to buy, and they're going alone. They don't want to use a buyer's agent, even though I encourage them. Um, and they want to go and down the whole finding the strata records. What should they be doing when they're looking at these buildings? Like, how depth and how do they get access to all that information? Because yeah, it's you know you can download the strata report, but that's not enough, is it? Not at all. No. <laughs> very rare, very rarely the case. Mm. Um, first of all, I think that they should be engaging a strata lawyer to assist them with their conveyancing. That's number one. Yes, it's going to be more expensive, but that person is going to have the understanding of apartments that they're going to pick up things that they might see in the records that others will not. And I can say that uh, quite independently because I do not do conveyancing. So So a strata lawyer who does conveyancing will actually read the report because I find that most conveyances and property lawyers just say, no, well, I don't read the reports. Yeah. A, they should read the report. B, explain it to you. And I even think C, tell you that, look, this report is actually not that comprehensive. What's missing? And I suggest that I go and have a look. It'll be two hours. It'll cost you a little bit more, mm. but I will be able to see what's missing. I will be able to uh, read, for example, the engineer's report that's on file and understand, okay, well, this engineer has identified concrete spalling on the balconies. So if they've identified that, then I know from my experience that with this many lots, with concrete spalling to this extent, that's going to be at least a million dollar project. And that's probably going to take two two years, even though this mm. engineer said, oh, it's a six month mm. job. So are you prepared for that? And are you prepared that the million dollars will probably become 1.3? So as strata lawyers, knowing the other side mm. of the purchase, we can provide that additional guidance. You should be looking for uh, a 10-year capital works fund forecast. That's mm-hmm. the 10-year plan that every building must have by law in place that says this is the repair and maintenance work that we're going to do over the next 10 years and this is how much it's estimated to cost. So a professional has come in, walked around the building and said this is how much you're going to spend over the next 10 years so this is what your levy should be for the next 10 years. And that will highlight things even in a perfectly well-maintained building. It'll highlight things like, well, we're going to be repainting a whole building in three years' time. We're going to be uh, replacing the timber windows with aluminium in five years' time. So those major things that are coming up, as a purchaser, we're going to be doing the roof. Mm. The the Uh. waterproof membrane hasn't been done for 25 years, so that's ready to go. Oh, I'm buying a top-floor apartment and the waterproof membrane has been leaking. That's interesting. That's something that's going to have to be addressed. On that, so the Capital Works Fund forecast, which used to be the sinking fund forecast, there's varying degrees of um, value in those, right? Yes. you know, from what I understand, there's those that just basically press a button and say, well, for a building like that, you would expect, you know, it's basically all computer generated uh, versus one's actually had a quantity surveyor go out to the property and actually look at what this property needs and will, you know, will likely need. And there's quite a big difference, but they're both, you can tick the box to say, they're both there. Yes, very true. Um, there are companies who can do them quite quickly and cheaply using templates mm. uh, and then tick the box to say, yes, that's been done. The other thing to bear in mind is that our legislation says that the owners corporation must follow the plan as far as reasonably practicable. Yes. <laughs> they don't actually have to follow the mm. plan. Uh, and that's been a concern for us lawyers when our new legislation came in and it, and it said that. Um 
sure, you can have a plan, but if we're ever going to sue an owner's corporation for not following that, um, we're, we haven't seen this play out yet, but we're mm. a little bit concerned about how that legislation is going well, to be we applied. Often, I often come across, you know, where the strata manager says, oh, well, you know, the owners have, you know, they've owned that building for a long time and they know the building. They know it. Mm. Well, that's good. This <laughs> doesn't look like a professional has been in there checking it out at all. Yeah. You know, it's good that they know it. Um we, we came across a townhouse recently where they, what did they not do? Oh, they didn't have an annual fire, uh, annual fire service see. statement. Yep. Mm. They said, we don't need one for this type of building. Oh. And it's like, whoa. Doesn't yeah, sound right. Does anyone, have you qualified in this area? Um. You know, and, and, and so you've got a, an owner's corporation that have decided that they know better than what is legislated. So then you go, oh, that's, that's nice, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> and what concerns that. me is that these are buildings that are managed by mm. professional yes. strata managers. Mm. And I started to see this when I started the podcast and for many years I'd been working with owners and buildings who, who were managed by, strata, by by good qualified strata managers who understood the importance of getting lawyers involved. So these were the people that I was dealing with. They knew if there was a problem they couldn't handle, get the lawyer involved. Mm. But when I started the podcast, I started communicating more and more with owners who were either self-managed or had strata managers who had no idea. And I didn't realise until then the extent, extent. of that oh my problem. God, yeah. And I get sent notices of meeting that just do not comply with the basics of the legislation. So that's a really basic thing for a strata manager to have to make certain disclosures in a notice of meeting. And I'm mm. looking at this meeting notice that says we're going to discuss motion, motion one, two and three mm. and, and that's it. I think, well, that's just obviously non-compliant to anybody and that's the the least of the problem mm. and then you've got strata managers saying oh no you don't need a capital works fund plan or you don't need an annual fire safety statement these people are getting paid mm. to do what well i think in this particular case the strata manager whether they agreed or disagreed i think they were bullied by the owners mm. you know yes. so then you get that that happening you do mm. and they are concerned to secure the renewal of their contract. Mm. We moved to maximum three-year terms when we got our new legislation mm. and I think since then we've been seeing a change in behaviour for some strata management companies where they're very concerned to make sure that their contract is renewed after three years. Oh, yes, wow. year three they are re-election, so we might so as well is, just go a bit light this year. And This is a yes. big elephant, isn't mm. it? So yep. that, that the maximum three returns supposedly put in to protect consumers, supposedly? Yes, and to give uh, <laughs> give them the option to choose a new manager. Mm. We used to have automatic rollovers. We'd have 10-year contracts. Mm. Um, the price would just keep increasing by 5% every year. And mm. I just said, well, we're jack of that. Uh, let's do something about it. Okay, have your, your three-year terms. Uh, but now we have strata managers who, um, some strata managers who are taking instructions maybe from one particular committee member instead of the committee as a whole mm. because they feel that that committee member is going to be the one who's going to encourage the others to renew the contract uh, and they have feel they have to prove themselves in a shorter period of time. So they might take some shortcuts and say, oh, no, we don't need a committee meeting. Yeah, that's fine. I'll do that for you. Um, really concerning for yeah. when other owners see this mm. happening and say, well, how come he gets his windows fixed and mine are still leaking? Yeah. And they have to come to me and pay my hourly rate to get something done that they are legally entitled to. I think there's been a, a problem with new buildings from memory that like some developers have also got strata companies and then they basically employing their own strata company and then that strata <laughs> company is then signed up for 10 years on a yeah. higher rate than yeah. with above inflation increases. And so you buy the building, 
but you don't know you're buying a really expensive strata manager that's then locked in for 10 years that yeah. has the interests aligned to the developer and not you. Yes. And have you kind of seen that played out where the conflicts are just way too That much? was definitely more prevalent uh, a number of years ago. Mm. Our new legislation has attempted to address that uh, by saying persons who are connected to the developer um, shouldn't have those contracts yeah. and that the contract for the contract, the first contract with the strata manager should only be a one-year contract. Yeah. So a new building will only ever have a one-year contract and then they have uh, at their next AGM the option to then engage a strata manager for three years. So if they're not happy with that, say, um, developer chosen, because it might not be connected to the developer, but it mm. would certainly be a, a, a strata manager chosen by the developer yep. in the first year. If they're not happy, then they can decide to change after that first year. Building managers is a, another oh, yes. long-term contract, caretaker, and we've had uh, uh, a yes. number of court cases, about 25-year uh, caretaker contracts Whoa. in New South Wales. Um, the other thing that's new is embedded network contracts. So ah. um, this is something that's just emerging and, and I've started to give a little bit of advice, little bit of advice to buildings on this, um, where the developer is, enters into an agreement with an energy provider mm. oh, yes. um, and they then um, purchase the energy from the wholesaler and then on-sell it to the lot owners. And those can be long-term contracts that people, uh, the developer sells the apartment on the promise that, oh, but your, your electricity is going to be really cheap because we've got this particular contract. Yeah. And then over time it just skyrockets wow. and they just can't get out of that contract. Um, that's something that we're just starting to talk about in the sector, about the, the, the fairness and the legality of those contracts. So you're buying an obligation you're unaware of. Yep. So Ooh, I think it's with this whole strata world is that, you know, even if you, um, you know, you go and do your due diligence and you start to see smoke, I guess, mm. um, you know, you should really run, but a lot of people don't run. They just go and buy the building and then they assume that the laws are going to protect them. Um, because they can influence, you know, for example, if you get in the building, we need these maintenance done. And then you go to the strata meeting and you say, we need to fix all these things. Yep. It's very hard then to actually get, because people will sit on the fence and then years go by and then you get, give up and you, yep. you leave. So do you think that the law is actually strong enough to protect people or, you know, people really just shouldn't buy in those buildings because they can't rely on the law to save them? Oh, that's a really hard question. Um, the law is definitely there. There are avenues for people to address an, an underperforming owners corporation, but they're not easy avenues and they're expensive. Uh, our tribunal says we don't, uh, we're consumer friendly. We don't necessarily want lawyers in the tribunal. You should all self-represent, but this is complex. These laws are complex. And that's the tension, I think, between this is, somebody's life, it's their every day, it's what they're living and breathing, but there's this whole layer of incredibly complex um, legislation that overlays all of that, that they're supposed to understand or to navigate, and our tribunal yeah. says you're supposed to do it alone. And mm. if you do engage a lawyer, the tribunal also says, well, that's nice, but we're a no-costs jurisdiction, so it's very unlikely that even if you're successful in getting an order to force the building to do what it always should have done... yeah. You don't cost. get a cost order in your favour. Mm. You're you're having to pay your, your 20 grand out of your own pocket for your lawyer to run that case. And that's what I tell my clients. Don't assume that you're going to get this money back. I can get you the result, but it's you're going to be out of pocket for it. Having said all of that, 
I'm working with probably the worst 2% of of buildings at that level. And there are tens of thousands of functioning strata buildings in New South Wales. And most of them are doing pretty well. So I don't want to scaremonger here because my everyday experience is is problems and difficulty. Um, There are many, many buildings that are functioning just fine. They're compliant. They've got good managers. They've got money. They're well maintained. Um, I invest in strata myself. I I wouldn't talk anybody out of investing in strata for that, just for that reason. Yeah. But but I think it's a just good look, see the smoke, but do, go look at it. But it doesn't mean you shouldn't. And just be, just be armed. Know where you can get information from. Know who you can get it from. Understand that there is this whole world behind these buildings that may impact you. It may not. Uh, you may have to look at the strata legislation at some point. You may have to do some googling about what the building's responsibility is to repair and maintain. You may not. Uh, but it does have that added layer that you wouldn't otherwise have in a freestanding home. Yeah, and I think it is important that you don't wishful think it away. You know, I think yes. that, you know, because if you do get caught up in a, in a building that needs this issue, it's not solely your responsibility to fix it. So therefore you've got to lobby and you've got to negotiate and maybe litigate and all that sort of stuff, and it could just adds years and years and years to the whole drama of it. What a nightmare. At least in your own home, you can. I mean, it might co- it's going to cost you, but like it's at your discretion. Yes. So, yeah. So the elephant in the room is 100% for you. The reason that Chris and I do this podcast is because we passionately believe that property buyers can do it better. We really want to help all of you understand all the risks, but also the ways in which you can avoid your elephant making the decisions. But what we would love for you to do is just to share this episode and share other episodes with people around you that are going through the property process. Give us a review on iTunes. A five-star, please, would be very appreciated because this is about making sure that we all benefit from the wonderful information that our guests have been sharing with us. You know, right now there is still hope out there for a lot of first home buyers in Sydney, Melbourne, where they're, you know, entering the market and they can get into that house, right? Mm. And they don't have to buy a townhouse or an apartment because um, there's still pockets that are still affordable to them in areas that they want to live. Which, but in say 2016, 17, like that was pretty much gone. Like a lot it's of pretty much going now. It's again. pretty much like it's not <laughs> far off. Like mm. it's you know, if we get back to 2017 prices again, um, you know, which is you know, maybe well, I would argue it's we're beyond it in some pockets. Yeah, I agree. Mm. So like it's not – and so then we're going to – a lot of – and it's already happening, I think, that we're – you know, a lot of first-time buyers and young families are going, well, we have to – our only option of living in these cities is we can't afford freestanding. Yeah. We have to get an apartment or strata. Mm. So mm. the option of just going down, oh, we'll just buy a house isn't an option. So they've really got to get ski- skilled up in understanding strata because they go to their parents. Their parents have never owned strata. Yeah. Their friends, you know what I mean? Like they yeah. just there's so much they just have to know this information. They just don't know where to go. So yeah. with I'm interested though, you know, there's townhouses and there's apartments. And mm-hmm. there's obviously there's apartments and there's apartments. You know, there's there's your red three three story walk up, which is fairly self contained and pretty easy to 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 navigate. Mm-hmm. Um your townhouses where you've it's effectively you've got your own lot, or everyone's got their own lot, but you've got your own bid bit of ground and mm-hmm. you're not necessarily sharing roof space or, or floors or that sort of thing. You might just be sharing walls, um, maybe at a common property, sometimes just a driveway. It can be quite simple. And then you've got, you know, really complex multi, multiple, multi-use 
buildings at the far end of the, the spectrum. And I remember when we interviewed Rena, Rena Van Alst, um, back in the 30s, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and um, we talked about that. We touched on the complexity of being in one of those buildings mm-hmm. as well. But from your from your experience as a strata lawyer, dealing with the one or two percent of the the terrible buildings or where buildings where terrible things happen or mm-hmm. go wrong. Mm-hmm. Do you come across townhouses very often in that? I do, yes. Um, you mentioned there about townhouses maybe only sharing part of a wall and kind of having your own backyard. Um, it all depends on the strata plan, of course, what yeah, the strata plan yeah. says, but quite often those townhouses still, the roof is still Great. common property. Right. Yep. Yeah, All of your walls are, your door. Mm. Uh, you, you may have the use of the airspace in your front and backyards, uh. but the ground itself is common property. Right. You've got your fences. Uh, those arrangements can sometimes be more complicated because what you see is not necessarily what you get. It's uh-huh. not necessarily what mm. you might think it is. Mm. And when we look at the plan, we say, oh, did you realise, you know, the, the driveway is actually common or you're actually responsible for this part, but you're mm. not responsible for the other. Um, so I think those developments in particular, um, people need to be getting specific advice on what does the plan show? What has the agent told me I'm buying? And uh, go and see your, your lawyer, your conveyancer to make very clear what you are actually buying. Mm. It may not be the same thing. Oh, yes. Um, (laughs) But I have to say uh, some of the most hard-fought, vicious disputes I see are in the smallest buildings. Really? So a two-lot scheme is always very difficult because you can't make any decisions. If one person doesn't agree, you need that majority to make everyday decisions. That's actually important, interesting because... Say in Leichhardt Council, I remember some years back they changed the minimum lot size. And yep. So there's a whole bunch of, say, 300 square metre blocks of land that got subdivided into two 150 square metre blocks of land, but because it was sub 200 per lot, the council deemed that, well, there has to be strata. So you've got this, yep. there's a, quite a lot of, of two, two lot strata schemes. Yep. And, yeah, there's some implications there too because, of course, you've got to ensure the the building is one. You do. Um, then there's obviously you've got maintenance. I mean, quite often they just agree to maintain each their own lot. But <laughs> but what needs to happen in those cases? Yeah, um, I work with a number of buildings uh, opposite to Leichhardt Council. I think Randwick Council for many years would not approve these small developments as strata, and they approve them as company title. Oh, even worse. Well, interesting. <laughs> there there's now been a change there, and there's yeah. a number of companies, two lot company titles that are converting, converting to. Strata. 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 Yeah. yeah. So that's something that I get involved in. And I was uh, involved in one recently where I acted for the lot owner. So not acting for the company, acted for the lot owner who came to me and said, Amanda, what is all this conversion about? My neighbour wants to convert. He says it's going to add value to our property. I'm, I've been here for 10 years. I'm going to be, I've got kids, I'm going to be here for another 25 years. I don't really care about selling. Is this going to cost me money? What does all this mean? Yeah. And I explained the process to them uh, and said, look, it's, it's basically a, a paper process. You're filling in forms, you're, you're signing minutes of company meetings. Meetings, you're making sure your constitution allows you to do it. Of course, things get lodged with the council, with land registry services. But as a brand new strata scheme, you need to develop a set of bylaws. And I said, this is a really good opportunity, actually, to set the scheme up the way that you mm. want it. Mm. And it's a rare opportunity. And what I suggest to two lot schemes is that wherever you can take responsibility for your own house, for yeah. your own side of the property. Yeah. 
Because the strata plan will be drawn in such a way that your external walls, your ceiling, your dividing internal wall will all be common property. Your waterproofing, your bathroom waterproofing, even though your bathrooms might be nowhere near each other, your bathroom waterproofing will be common property. Wow. So you would be responsible... For maintaining your neighbour's bathroom waterproof membrane. And you think, well, that's good. It's not like they're above me. It's not going to affect me if it leaks. It's on the other side of the building. But what you can do is pass a bylaw that says that each owner is Mm. responsible for the structure of their own side. And there's only very limited things that we share. And in my view, that will go some way to avoiding dispute down the track Mm. and also making sure that you're living as separately together as you can. So there's really- positives of that, but then there's potentially negatives, I guess, is that uh, let's say that, you know, you do have a great neighbour, they take care of it. What happens if they don't? You know, can you then force them to, yeah. to really do it? Because, you know, the last thing you want to do is sell a semi and the neighbour's like, you know, roof's got a hole in it. And it's, yeah. you got to be able to find the, the neighbour yeah. too sometimes. Yeah. 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 So you can put the obligation on them in the bylaw to actually do the work. Mm. You can also say that anything that impacts the external appearance of the building uh, okay. has to be a joint decision. So we don't want a purple house and a brown house, you know, because that just <laughs> looks weird. Yeah. Um, so you can really, with the help of someone who knows what they're doing, draft a regime right. that works mm. and covers off most of the foreseeable issues. And it's... Look, when I was a sales agent, I sold a number of those properties. It actually helped some of our clients buy them as well. But back when I was a sales agent, I remember just being told by a lawyer once, oh, the only thing you need to worry about is, is sharing the insurance. Yeah. And, and that's what I used to tell buyers because that's yeah. what I was told. And that lawyer clearly didn't know anymore. Um, yeah. And so there's a lot of lack of, it was a lack of, inf- a lot of lack of information. Does that make sense? There's a lot of lack of information, <laughs> a lack of information out there about this, but so it's good to talk about. So mm. one thing I don't know about, because it's what we don't know that hurts us, mm-hmm. um, mm. is this unlimited liability, which apparently yeah. you guys were talking about. <laughs> yeah. So that's the, that concept where, uh, I mean, if we think about it from a corporate law perspective, we have uh, in Australia three types of companies. We have limited liability companies, and that's mm. what most of us would understand. That's where we're only exposed to the value of our investment. So it's only the money we've put in, our shares or our personal guarantee. If that company gets sued, then we as shareholders are only exposed to the value of that investment. We also have no liability companies, apparently. These are um, generally mining companies, so mining exploration, oil exploration, high-risk speculative um, companies, quite rare. Uh, And then we have unlimited liability where you are actually exposed to the extent of your own assets, even if you've only put in five bucks or you've only put in 500,000 for your property. And owners corporations are unlimited liability corporations. Mm. And the reason that they are is because the building needs to be able to raise levies to meet its legal obligations. So it's not expressed in the legislation that they are unlimited liability, but it does say Owners Corporation must repair and maintain. Owners must pay levies. So the way that the Owners Corporation repairs and maintains is to pay levies. Mm. And if there is somebody who is owed money by the Owners Corporation, what we do is we don't actually wind up the Owners Corporation like you'd wind up a company if a company can't pay its debts. That person who's owed money, who we call a creditor, can actually apply to the tribunal for the appointment of a compulsory managing agent. So a strata manager comes in like an administrator with all the powers of the owner's corporation and that manager can then raise levies 
without the need for a meeting, without the need to discuss with the owners, oh, against okay. the owner's wishes in order to pay wow. that yeah. debt and to pay yeah. that creditor. Mm. So that's another reason why it's not a normal corporation. We don't have the winding up Corporations mm. Act procedure. We have the compulsory manager procedure. There's no way to shirk your responsibility. That's it. So mm. the risk no here is if you buy a, and I might be wrong, is you buy a strata building and that's got creditors or it might have creditors that aren't on the books that what's happening now you don't know about that yep. could be and these aren't really factored into the sinking fund and there's not enough money there. Yep. So then you buy into the building and then bang, you hit with this. And I say, we owe 500 grand to, you know, the window company and that wasn't on the books. Yep. Um, and then that sort of special levy that wasn't even in the strata report. Is that sort of? That can absolutely happen. Absolutely. Yeah. You need to be looking, going back to the strata records inspection, you need to be looking to see if there's any litigation on foot. That's mm. a big, you, hopefully, you hope that goes without saying, but that is a big red flag. If there is litigation, whether the owners corporation is suing someone, you're asking the question, well, who are they suing and why? Mm. Or whether the owners corporation is being sued, well, what are the prospects of success on that litigation? What are the lawyers saying? What are the lawyers' fees? Are we going to get those fees back? Are we insured? <laughs> yeah. What What is the liability of the owners corporation? Because it's not good enough to say, oh, well, the owners corporation takes the liability. Uh-uh. At the end of the day, the you, owners. the owner, mm. it falls to you because you've got to contribute the money. The legal thing is, is uh, yeah. it's quite humorous. Um, you know, I think that when you go into disputes with humorous. Um, <laughs> uh, with uh, legal issues, you just assume if you've got a good case mm. and that you win the case yep. uh, and you've done nothing wrong, mm. that you could always put those legal costs on the person fighting you and then they'll pay the legal costs. Yeah. But from my understanding, that very rarely happens. Yeah. You, just enter in it, you throw the money to fight your case, but you could really kiss those legal fees goodbye most of the time. Yeah. In in a court, we usually say costs follow the event. So if you win, then you get your costs paid. Even that, however, you never get dollar for dollar costs. I shouldn't say never. There's unique circumstances, but you should assume even if you're successful, you might get 50, mm. 70% of your costs. So mm. you're still going to be out of pocket even that's in a court with good cost, what I would call good cost rules. Mm. In the tribunal... Because it's supposed to be consumer friendly, because somebody shouldn't be punished because they don't have a lawyer and their opponent does have a lawyer, the tribunal says we are a no cost jurisdiction. You will only get a cost order if there are special circumstances. And special circumstances are situations where someone never should have brought the application, mm. they haven't complied with the directions of the tribunal, yep. they had no evidence, uh, they have a completely misconceived, vexatious claim. They're just wasting but then, time. Wasting time. Obviously. But then you've got to argue that point. You've got to argue yeah. for a cost order and yeah. you need somebody who understands the legislation to argue for that. So as an example, you buy this old building, you think you are, you know all the rules, you go in there and you start, you know, you get your lawyer to defend all your rules and it gets dragged out over a space of many years and then it gets the final outcome. You get what you want. Everyone's got this special levy and you're going to pay it. But your legal, let's say not yours, but some legal fees have accrued there's very unlikely you're going to get any of that money back. You as an owner of that apartment's basically saying goodbye to that money, yeah? Is that? In the rest, in rare circumstances, you'll get some money back, but I always tell my clients, yeah, don't assume you're going to get anything. That's so, yeah, there's little protection you can rely on. Yeah. Um, what, what about Opal Towers? Mm. Okay, because that's the situation where there's insurance yes. and there's litigation and there's people to litigate and or... Organise, or they're litigating against the state government at the moment, aren't they? Mm. Um, 
So what happens in that sort of scenario? And once again, you put your life on hold for how many years mm. and there's also yeah. going to be devaluations of property and even if you get out of it at the other end and half unscathed, you know, there's there's certainly no easy path for any owner there. But what, what's going to happen in that scenario? Yeah, so that scenario was different to Mascot mm. in that they are a new build. The builder and developer was still around and are still around. And the word on the street about Opal is that that builder and developer has been very forthcoming in terms of paying to fix these problems, mm. putting their hands up and saying, whatever it takes, we will do it. Uh, you see that there's been an inquiry, there's been reports, uh, there's been, uh, I think a certifier has been fined, but the builder has said, we've got a good reputation. We're going to make sure mm. that this is all looked after. Um, Yes, there is a class action that some of the owners are involved in against Sydney Olympic Park Authority. Um, That's the government government agency who were the original owners of Mm. the land. Mm. Um, So the the commentary around that scenario is actually that Opal, (laughs) the Opal owners are the lucky ones, Mm. if you can believe that. Um, Yes, they all had to leave and they've got this problem, but they don't have to pay. Or the fix because the yeah. builder it's under it's within that six year warranty yeah. and the builder is going to fix that. The reality is that unfortunately they might not pay out of their own pocket, but they will sell they will yeah. pay when they sell that property one day. Yeah. You know, it's uh it's pretty well publicized at that building and so a lot of investors will be like, Well, even if it's fixed, I don't want to buy in There's that building. There's another one that's nearly finished. because um, it, it was Three or four or something. Yeah, well, let's say or something. The next one's called. Let's say three or four we know about. Yeah, and yeah. I, I know there are buildings committee members, lawyers out there who say, if I was in that building or if this was my building, I'd be keeping it very, very quiet. And this is yeah, this goes back to a question that you asked earlier, isn't it? Because the thing is that. You know, there's a bit of a conspiracy of silence in some buildings, mm. isn't there? I mean, well, look, at Opal Towers, let's face it, the one next door goes up, you, you're going to be looking at them going, oh, I, I would feel pretty nervous if I would, had bought off the plan in the next one, regardless of whether it's going to start cracking. Yes. It's more about, well, how is my value tarnished because of the one next door? Yeah. So mm. that's sort of an issue there. But but there are buildings, and we've heard many anecdotal examples of buildings where they've sort of agreed to keep things out of the minutes, agreed to s- discuss everything off the record. Um, have you come across that? Yeah, that's a real problem. Uh, and certainly no strata manager or strata lawyer who's aware of that happening w- would or should be advising buildings to do that. They mm. should be making very clear that uh, accurate records need to be kept. Nothing can be withheld from the records. Uh, and that does pose a problem. If people are doing their inspections thoroughly, engaging people to do it, and not the information just isn't there, then they can't make an informed decision. Um, Again, I'd say that comes down to having a professional experienced person look at the records because I'd like to think that uh, I'd be pretty on top of if something was missing, it would stand out. There's yeah. stand some out to me. clues in there. There's yeah. The, yeah. But the building the doesn't have to be strata managed. It's self-managed, Correct. yes. Correct. So yeah. if you are buying in a self-managed building, you would like to think Yeah, but that there's some definite warning signs when you look at self-managed r- records. Yeah, the shoebox. <laughs> well, it is, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. So, so, yeah. And, but, yeah. you know, they'll, they'll be out there and people will be buying them and they will be yeah. buying them yeah. thinking, yeah. well, you know, that all looks good, all yeah. looks fine. Oh, but they're also levies interested. Are low. Yeah, low and they're so but, interested. You know. And Bill down there in number three, he knows everything. Yeah, he looks after us. <laughs> yeah. We have yeah. non-disclosure <laughs> agreements and things like that being used as um, ways to silence ex-owners. Ex-owners, people so, who've moved out. People, people who know involved. information about the building that 
we don't want to be publicly information. <laughs> you giving s- me ideas. He's never such thought a about that. Theorist, Chris, um, so. Look, it's a. It, <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard of that happening. Yes. Uh, I have heard of disgruntled owners, whether they're former owners or current or their tenants, um, using technology. You know, Facebook and websites and blogs yeah. to cause problems. Um, I, I always say in response to that, well, let's fight fire with fire. We'll set up a website, set up a blog and, and deliver what the real information is. Mm. Um, <laughs> I think, yeah, you might have to do that. Um, but we do have to comply with the law. We have to comply with the Strata Schemes Management Act. So certainly a building or a committee couldn't agree amongst themselves, for example, to keep things confidential, yeah. keep things out of the records because that would be a breach of the act. The only time where an owner may find that they cannot uh, and legally cannot access records is where the records are legally privileged. So it is advice that's come from a lawyer acting for the owner's corporation And that advice can be the subject of privilege and therefore withheld, but only withheld from the owner who's on the other side of the litigation, right? So um, if we're suing someone because they haven't paid their levies, then I've given advice to the owner's corporation about this is how you do it. Then that person in lot three who hasn't paid their levies and we're suing, they can't see my advice, but everyone else in the building can see my advice because they are part of the owner's corporation. Mm. So they're all jointly paying my fees so they can all see my advice. And that's a really... um, important point to make because so many buildings and managers don't understand that and overlook it and say, oh, well, that's privileged. So it goes in the privileged file so no one can see it. So it's something to be aware of when you're searching records to say, well, hang on, I can see in the financials that you just paid $20,000 to a lawyer. What's that for? Oh, no, that's litigation. That's privileged. Well, hang on. Is, does it involve the lot that I'm about to purchase? Does it involve lot three? Oh, no, it involves lot 14. Well, then I can see it because <laughs> it's not privileged as against me. It's privileged as against lot 14. And we've got cases on that. you got to know what you don't know. Yep. Oh, it's, it's a murky, murky world. <laughs> Every week we hear incredible stories of the dumb things property buyers do. Dumb things that end up costing a whole lot of money and or a whole lot of stress. Mistakes that can be avoided. Please, Amanda, can you give us an example of a property dumbo? We can all learn what not to do from these stories. I do. And I think we might have touched on it a little bit earlier, but... um I was recently helping a building who had decided that they wanted to pay out their strata loan. So they'd borrowed, I think it started at about a million dollars to do some major rectification works. They had been making the minimum repayments and they got it down to about 500,000. And then a group of owners said, you know what, we just want to clear the loan. We just want to pay it out. So in order to do that, we have to go to a general meeting, pass a resolution to pay the loan. Um, they, the committee did some research about the options. We could pay half the loan now and half the loan next year. We could pay the whole loan out. Uh, sent out the notice of general meeting. The options were on the agenda. I recommended that they do a very clear covering letter explaining this is what's going to happen at this meeting. We really recommend that all owners attend this meeting because this is an important decision. Here's a schedule of what your levies might look like if we no. decide to pay out the loan. So someone in a two-bedroom is having to pay $7,000. Someone in a three-bedroom is having to pay $10,000 over two special levies. So it's significant. Mm. Um The meeting happened. It's about a 40-lot scheme. I think they had about 10 people turn up in the room. And uh, this is the example of where six people made the decision to pay out this loan. (laughs) 
And I warned the committee and I said, okay, that's fine. When the levy notices go out in a month's time, wow. just put your flak jacket on and just be prepared because you're going to get emails, you're get, your strata manager's going to get phone calls. What is this? Why am I being billed yep. $7,000? How did you make this decision? When did you make this decision? <laughs> so the property jumbo for me is that person who doesn't read the notice of meeting doesn't uh, attend the meeting yeah. and then later complains about the decision that's been made by what really ends up being a minority because they are completely disengaged until it comes time to pay some money. Because the minority are the ones that are interested. Yeah. So they're the ones that turn up. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So in that situation, you said six of the ten. So so the four said no. So this shouldn't that have then being that 40%. It's a lot entitlement. It's, a, it's an ordinary resolution. Yeah, so just a majority can make that decision. Right. To oh, pay right. out so the it doesn't way. need to be yeah. 75 Didn't have to be a special resolution. Right, okay. Yeah. Wow, so even then. So that's like, you know, yeah. you'd think that it would be 75%. Mm. So there's certain resolutions that only need 50%. Yeah, most. Um, well, <laughs> so there you go. Wow. So it's like, and that's not much, you know. Um, yeah, levies are 50, ordinary resolutions. So 51%, yeah. you know, and mm. on, on a show of hands as well, unless somebody calls for oh, a right. poll. right, so it's not about the... the uh, not about unit entitlement right. on an ordinary resolution. Someone can call for a poll and then it's on a unit entitlement, yeah. which may or may not change the voting. But yeah. these are serious decisions that are being made. seven days they have to give notice. Seven clear days, yep. So if you're on holidays and you don't check your strata and they organise a special meeting... Yep. Mm. ..and you're on holiday for two weeks not got any internet... Yep. You could be, yeah. You could be get out home, of the loop. Get home with a $10,000 bill. <laughs> in the envelope. <laughs> That'll be in your letterbox. Yeah, that's true. Oh. Just, funny, just being aware that that's a possibility yeah. is a step in the right direction. You know, especially because if you do get in the mail, like, you know, I don't know about you, you don't check my mail every seven days. No. Um, and so, you know, like it's very easily you could even miss these seven-day windows. So, yep. you know, learning there for a lot of strata owners is, you know, don't delay opening these letters because, you know, like... <laughs> or give, yeah. the, give your strata manager your email address as an address yeah, for service. That's, that, yeah. that's often the way. Yeah. I mean, it's and then open the email. And <laughs> open your emails. And, yes, I know, and they're pretty wordy and they're a little, you know, a bit boring and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, they're, they're pretty important. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's interesting, though, because um, you do find in some buildings you get these really very, very interested and very, very involved and very, very motivated people. And they're a little gang of them. And some, you know, and so they actually get their way because yes, they yes. know how to game it. And, yep. and they're, they're, you know, a lot of them are retired. Yes. And, the, <laughs> and other residents try to infiltrate that group and try mm. to uh, get themselves on the committee and they find that hard to do. Um, yeah, definitely that yeah. happens. And that's tricky Sometimes to navigate. Sometimes you don't. You like those people though. You know, if you're an owner in those buildings, especially if they're doing things by the book and, um, you know, they're trying to take you. Yes, they might be. You have to keep putting money in your pocket, but yeah. at least you know your assets. At least somebody's doing something. Oh, it's uh, true. Yeah. Although I, d I heard of one building where they they deliberately did not. I've heard of this a few times where they they kept the strata levies really really low, um, and they just raised a special levy for whatever they decided yes. to do. And oh, so the then opposite, it was like, oh, yeah. we decided that we wanted to solar hit the pool, yeah. and so. Okay, yeah. we just raise a levy and, and yeah. well, but I don't even swim. <laughs> and that, that's been um, part of the policy behind the Capital Works Fund forecast because a lot of buildings were saying, why would we want money sitting in our mm. Capital Works Fund when we could have it sitting against our mortgages yeah. or invested another way? Exactly. Um, so they didn't They didn't, didn't have adequate levies mm. and they said, oh, well, we'll just raise a special levy when we, when we need it. Yeah. But, you know, new people buying into the building, young families, they, they can't handle that. Those yeah. surprises. No, and they're and they're also paying for the sins of the fathers in the way because you know it's like the same build, the same townhouse complex that says no, we don't need an annual 
annual fire statement. Um, they also said, well, you know, we don't need, we'd rather have the money sitting on our, um, they don't follow the Capital Works Fund forecast and we'd rather have the money sitting on our mortgages. And mm. I'm like, well, that's fine. What about the next buyer that comes in? And if you had actually been putting aside, putting aside, putting aside, this owner would have made a contribution for all the things, the wear and tear that they'd exactly. had the benefit of. And yep. now they get to leave scot-free and this person actually will have to backdate effectively yep. and pay a premium over on the top of the purchase price because there's no investment in that. Yep. And the big things are like, what are they? Like, you know, from your experience, you've seen big, big ticket levies like concrete in older buildings, like yep. concrete cancer. Absolutely. Like rust in the yeah, bricks what, and uh, things Roof like membranes. That. Uh, windows. 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 Yep. Um, Any other big ones you can't Litigation. Can think of? I have yeah. to say, litigation is it's just awful. Just internally yeah. disputes and people just Yeah, yeah. Angry I've with seen each other. I've seen special levies for three hundred grand to pay lawyers' fees. Ooh, I mean that's fees, just yeah. yeah. And having to explain I mean, explaining to the owners that you need to raise hundred grand for a new waterproof membrane is one thing. Mm. Explaining we're raising three hundred grand to pay a lawyer to fight with lot four about their uh, retail shop that's opening and we don't want them to have outdoor seating, so we're all in the land and environment court. And I just think, well, hang on a sec, why am I paying 20 grand towards it? Does that really matter? Do I care? Do mm. I actually like the guy down there? He makes good coffee. Yeah. <laughs> so you end yeah. up with those kind of. That's a good point as well. Like, you know, the dis- well, co- commercial mixed mm-hmm. with residential, like you're buying a completely different beast, aren't you? For sure. You know, and mm-hmm. there's yeah. some challenges with that. And, yeah. Um, yeah. So it's, it's, you know, it's not just, you know, the roof. It's There's so many other elements you've got to look at. Mm-hmm. The fourth layer of government. That's it. <laughs> yep. Pips is busy. Oh, Amanda, thank you so much for coming back. Um, my pleasure. This unlimited liability thing, uh, as soon yeah. as my ears pricked up when you mentioned that to me, and I'm so glad you've come and shared and explained it, really what it is you're buying into when you're buying Strata. I mean, you know, yeah. you, the, the liabilities that um, or the obligations that an individual owner has, you know, worst case scenario, but hey, it could happen. Yes, being aware that it could happen is the first step. Yep. Yeah, and a few hundred dollars or $500 or whatever it is up front, due diligence, mm. and if you have to go through that and you find out something that you didn't really want to know because you didn't really want to know it, you want to buy the apartment, mm. that's okay. You mm. know, just you'll have to just wait and find another one, you know, deal with the pain today, not tomorrow. Yep. Thank you very much. My pleasure. We want to make you a better elephant rider, and this week's elephant rider training is... Well, following on from some of the conversations we had with Amanda just now around uh, due diligence and strata reports and the like, and we sort of touched on it, but we didn't talk about it in great depth. And that is when you do your due diligence before buying a property, it doesn't have to be strata, it could be a house, we've done a building a pest inspection. Um, And when something comes back that I guess doesn't really answer the questions you should be asking, or it actually raises an area of doubt... Uh, or it's, you know, or you don't understand it is another one. Sunk cost, you know, it's a sunk cost bias is is a problem for property buyers because you spend your $300 on a report and you feel like you're committed to buying the property because you've spent the money doing the due diligence. And I just want a little bit of a reframe because it happens with building and pest inspections as well. I've, well, I've paid now and even though I know it's got termites, <laughs> I might knock 10 grand off the price for argument's sake, but, but I paid for a building inspection so I should still buy it. The reason, I just want to reframe a bit, the the reason that we spend the money and invest the money on these building inspections or strata reports is because we want to find out if there's a reason why we shouldn't buy the property. And so we have to be very aware of this sunk cost bias that we have to think that just because we spent that money, that money is gone. 
That money is gone. And if we are wise, we will spend that money that is gone wisely, i.e. listen to whatever it is that we've found out uh, when we've actually gone and got that information. So just be mindful that it is a bias that we all are susceptible to. It's the elephant once again. We talked about it back in uh, episode one with Simon Russell about um, various biases that we are impacted and influenced by and sunk costs was one of them. And it does happen when you're doing due diligence on property buying. Please join us for our next episode when we talk about build to rent. What is it? Is it a solution for housing affordability? Is it a way for institutions to invest in residential property? We're going to find out because we're interviewing uh, Mervac Group's General Manager of build to rent Adam Hurst. It's a very interesting conversation because we get into taxation, we get into government uh, hurdles and incentives and um, what the future for this sector may look like if it is allowed to get off the ground in this country. Please join us. Don't forget we're on all the social channels. We're on Facebook, we're on LinkedIn, we're on Twitter. Or you can connect with us on theelephantintheroom.com.au. The links are all there for you. Please connect and send us a message. We'd love to hear from you. The Elephant in the Room property podcast is recorded at the Sydney Sound Brewery. This week's podcast was recorded by John Risk. Editorial by Gordy Fletcher. Until next week, don't be a dumbo. Now remember, everything we talked about on this podcast is general in nature and should never be considered to be personal financial advice. If you're looking to get advice, please seek the help of a licensed financial advisor or buyer's agent who will tailor and document their advice to your personal circumstances with a statement of advice.